Hey guys, I'm glad that you found this podcast. If you're at all interested in Palestine, Palestinian history, the ongoing occupation and colonization of Palestine, then this is a podcast that I think you will enjoy very much. This first episode is kind of a way to set the background for what comes next. This is episode one. Jerusalem has long been the focal point of the still unsolved problem of Palestine. About 15 years ago, I was preparing for my first serious job interview, and I wasn't too familiar with the interview process. This was the first interview that I was going to do that really involved my university education and past experience and all of those really important things. So I solicited the help of one of my friends, came and helped me out. He was the same age that I was, but a little further along professionally than I was at that time. And we took the role playing involved here really seriously. So, sat down, shook hands. I was in a suit. He was in a suit. I handed him my resume and cover letter. And he said, so tell me about yourself. And I froze. And I don't think I'm the first person to freeze in that kind of situation. That's a really deep question. Tell me about yourself. That's a question that asks you to describe the entirety of who you are through the frame of your subjective experience. I mean, what you're effectively saying to someone is, tell me everything about you in a way that I can understand it. I mean, that's a very, (laughs) it's kind of an unfair question to ask. But if you reframe the question ever so slightly, you can make it easier to answer. Not easy, still a different, difficult question. You can make it easier. If instead of tell me about yourself, you ask, so what's your story? Well, stories at the very least have structure. They have a beginning, a background. They have a critical incident. They have a climax. They have, if you know anything about storytelling, you at least have a shot at answering that question in a way that is comprehensible. One of the interesting things about stories, or one of the interesting things about our personal stories, is that the story may change depending on the context. My story will be different if I'm in a job interview or if I'm speaking to a potential father-in-law. All of these stories are still my story. They just come with slight variances. Now, these two questions, both tell me about yourself and what's your story. They are the same question because our identity is simply a story that we tell about ourselves. To expand on that idea, 
our collective identity is a story that a group tells about the people and the institutions within that group. Well, central to my story is the fact that I'm a Palestinian. And I've always known that I was a Palestinian. I've known that I was a Palestinian for as long as I've known anything about myself. And in fact, I vividly remember learning that I was a Palestinian. I was about five or six years old and my parents were sitting around the dinner table and my father was very upset about something. And I didn't really grasp the context or the content. So I asked, being a kind of inquisitive kid, what are you so upset about? My mom had been kneading dough, so there was a big tray with flour residue in it, and my father pulls that tray over, and through a corner of it, he draws a line. So there's a big piece, and then there's a little piece on the other side of that line. And he says, this, referring to the entire tray, this was Palestine. And then he points at the little part of it, and he says, this is what's left of it, pointing at the big part, now on the other side of the line. And he says, now they're trying to offer us that little piece back and they want us to be okay with it. What my father was talking about was the Oslo Accords. Now, when I consider how central Palestinian identity is to my life, that was a really important moment and a very formative experience. But it also created some challenges that I and many other Palestinians have had to deal with their entire lives. And it revolves around the question of what it means to be a Palestinian. So whether you are a Palestinian or not, and whether you know a lot about the situation of Palestinians or not, I ask you, when you think of Palestine or Palestinians, what comes to mind? I wouldn't be surprised if there's a few things that come to mind. I mean, you may think of the Golden Dome of the Dome of the Rock Mosque. You may think of, you may think of stone-throwing boys facing off against armed soldiers. You may think of home demolitions, of rolling hills and this beautiful landscape. But one thing is almost certain. It is very difficult to imagine a Palestinian identity that is totally free from the Israeli occupation or from British colonization. So think about my own experience for a moment of how Palestine and Palestinian identity was introduced to me. The starting point of Palestinian identity was dispossession, was the loss of something. And that in and of itself is a tragedy. To be defined by your loss and your catastrophe is such an incomplete and shallow identity. And yet for many Palestinians, that is what their identity is being reduced to. And I simply don't accept that. So I don't want to start with loss. I want to know what Palestinians were before all of these events. And if I can answer that, I may have a better idea of where we are going or where we can go. And there's a lot to overcome in order to be able to tell that story and to be able to come to those conclusions. But before I do, I want to play you a clip to show you the importance of answering this question. Speaker Gingrich, you got into a little hot water when you said the Palestinians were an invented people. It was technically an invention in the late 1970s. 
and it was, clearly, it was clearly so. Prior to that, they were Arabs. Uh, many of them were either Syrian, Lebanese, or Egyptian, or, or Jordanian. So what you just heard was then presidential hopeful, Republican presidential hopeful, Newt Gingrich, denying the very existence of Palestinians. And he uses really specific language. He says that Palestinians are an invented people. Now, one could simply say, Mr. Gingrich, all people are invented. Peoplehood is a social construct. It's not something that you find naturally occurring in the physical universe. Uh, nation states and their boundaries are social constructs. The 49th parallel that separates Canada and the United States is not a naturally occurring boundary. It is a political construct that was developed to separate two modern nation states. But that's not really what he's talking about. A few moments ago, I mentioned that our identity is a story that we tell about ourselves, and collective identities are collective stories. They're stories that groups of people tell about the group and the institutions. Well, here's something interesting about that. Those stories do not have to be true for them to serve their purpose. Consider that the story of the founding of the United States with the Boston Tea Party and the British are coming and this War of Independence and and then subsequent events like the Civil War. But it's a very selective telling of the history of that country. And I think they're dealing with the ramifications of the fact that that story is not reflective of their entire population. But those are true events. By contrast, I don't know whether or not everyone or anyone in Imperial Japan actually believed that the emperor was a god. Like they actually believe that he controlled the heavens and created the universe and, you know, has godlike powers. But it actually didn't matter. In so much as that story was able to rally the nation around a single cause and purpose, the objective truth of that story was absolutely irrelevant. What Newt Gingrich is saying is that the identity of Palestinians as a people and as a nation is based on fantasy. That it is, a, in his words, a late 20th century construct. But in the words of people with more academic clout, but an equally erroneous claim, they say that it is a late 19th, early 20th century construct. I don't want to give credence to that claim, but that is the point where I would like to start. I want to start with Palestine's Genesis story. And let me qualify that just one degree further. I want to tell modern Palestine's Genesis story. And what I want to arrive at is something that I will call, for the rest of this series, the Palestine frozen in time. There's an image of Palestine that anyone familiar with the subject matter already has built in their mind of the Palestine before the Israeli occupation. It's captured in still photographs and in those photographs you see you know fez wearing uh, urbanites and you see you know the fellahin the peasantry working in the fields and it's this image of palestine that we have that frankly no longer exists but it's the image that comes to mind when we think of an authentic palestinian society and I want to know how we got there. There are some very specific qualities that that Palestine has, 
or had, tragically. Qualities like a Bedouin, peasant, and urban set of classes. Qualities like a unique ethnic makeup and dialects. Qualities like the fact that it was a majority Muslim population with significant Christian and Jewish indigenous minorities. Qualities like the fact that they were an Arabic-speaking population. And what it actually means to be Arabs. I want to dive into all of those things, and that is my starting point. I want to know how Palestinian people came to exist. I want to know at what point the inhabitants of the Southern Levant looked at each other and said, we have a common story. And I want to know at precisely what point did those Palestinians begin to resemble something that we today would recognize as Palestinians. In telling that story, there are some serious challenges. First and foremost is the problem of erasure. Because of the ongoing colonization and occupation of the Palestinian people, and because of the events of 1948 and before 1948, much of the documented history of the Palestinians is locked up in Israeli archives and has not been released. Uh, just in sheer volume alone, only 2% of the archival material related to Palestinians has been released. The other 98% continues to be locked up. So you're talking about a significant piece of Palestinian history that is inaccessible. The other challenge that you have is, well, where do you begin? Where do you begin telling the story of the oldest continuously inhabited part of the world? There's so little that you could consider common and widespread understanding of Palestinian identity that I have to build the world first in order to make Palestinian identity comprehensible. And so I've decided to start with something that may seem unusual. I've decided to start with names. See, names are important, and they're important for a few reasons. Names in and of themselves tell a story. Names tell us about power, about ownership. To really hammer this point home, I want to tell you a personal story. In the neighborhood that I grew up in, about 100 meters from my house, there was a little field, although you can't really call it, it was too small to be called a field, but it was this patch of grass with a kind of a dip in the middle, and I used to call it, and my friends used to call it, the pit. And we didn't invent that name. My sister's friends, who are a few years older than us, they called it the pit. And my younger brother's friends and their younger siblings also called it the pit. But a little while ago, I was taking my daughter for a walk through that neighborhood, and there was a sign that was put up by the municipality who had gone on a naming spree a few years ago, and the sign read Davidson Park. And I was furious. Okay, I mean, maybe furious too strong of an emotion, but I certainly wasn't happy about it. The fact that that sign now reads Davidson Park undermines the collective memory of the people living in that neighborhood. Not only that, but it ensures, it guarantees that year by year, little by little, as the old die and the young move, new people come and move into the neighborhood, that the memory of the pit will die and it will forever be known as Davidson Park. That naming erased a whole period in the history of that neighborhood. 
the uh, great fantasy author, Patrick Rothfuss, um, he uh, has a, a wonderful book called Name of the Wind. And in this book, he creates a type of magic wherein if you know the true name of something, you can control it. And I think that's a very powerful way to, to describe what it is that I'm trying to say here, that names have power and meaning. And so the first question that I want to ask is, where does the name Palestine come from? Well, Palestine refers to the southern Levant. So that is the land south of Phoenicia, modern-day Lebanon, and east of Egypt. That's not horribly specific, and that is something that the definition of Palestine continued to deal with throughout its history. Geographically, the region expanded and shrank and retracted and elongated in all different shapes and sizes. But the name Palestine is always referred to the region of the Southern Levant. There are older names like Jahi and Ritanu. The origins of those names are unclear. They are found in ancient Egyptian manuscripts, and they seem to have died off quite early. The name Palestine is derived from the original, you can't see me, but I'm making air quotes, original inhabitants, the Philistines. And of course, I say original with that type of cynicism because this is a region that's been continuously inhabited for 7,000 years. This is a region at the center of multiple civilizations. So it undoubtedly had multiple firsts with people constantly coming and going and arriving and leaving. And so the name Palestine appears sometime around the 13th century BC in ancient Assyrian and Egyptian manuscripts. But around the 8th century BC, the name Palestine becomes the most dominant, most frequently used name for the Southern Levant. Nur Masalha, in his book, Palestine, A 4,000-Year History, writes, quote, from the late Bronze Age onwards, it should be stressed the names used for the region of the southern Levant, such as Jahi, Ritanu, and Canaan, all gave way to Palestine, the name most commonly used in 8th and 7th century Assyrian inscriptions. Palestine came to refer to the greater region of the southern Levant. This wider conception included not only the well-known cities of Gaza, Ekron, Gath, Ashdod, Ascalon, Timna, and Tentur, but served also for the interior of the country and gradually as a wider designation for the whole area from Lebanon to Egypt. End quote. There's this widely held belief that the name Palestine was the name given to the southern Levant by the Romans after putting down the Jewish rebellion and destroying the second temple. And so the, the naming of the southern Levant as Palestine was a type of insult to the Jews because uh, they named the land after their ancient rivals. And that's a half-truth at best. The fact of the matter is that the name Palestine never went out of style. The southern Levant never ceased to be called Palestine, irrespective of what was happening in that region politically. And so we can see from this that the name Palestine is far more ancient than what is commonly understood. Not only that, but we see that the names of Palestinian cities are more ancient than what is commonly understood. This is of vital importance, and there will be an entire, at least one entire episode later in this series dedicated to the subject of names and the toponymic reality of the Southern Levant, because this is one of the most hotly contested battlefields in the entire conflict 
over Palestine, Palestinian identity, and the history of the region. With all this talk of the name Palestine, and, and by the way, something I didn't mention previously, but uh, that name took on multiple forms over the thousands of years. Uh, Palestu, Palisit, Philistine, all of these names are derivatives of that uh, reference to the original inhabitants. And with this conversation, we've sort of slid into the subject of who are these original inhabitants of Palestine? Who has inhabited it for thousands of years? What were these people like? And what are their relationships to the land? And something that has to be addressed really early on in discussing the indigenous inhabitants of Palestine, especially as it relates to modern Palestinians, is something that I think a casual observer might find very confusing. There is a potential for this misunderstanding that somehow the modern Palestinians are the ancient Philistines and they are their descendants and the modern Israelis are the descendants of the Israelites and they've just been at each other's throats for thousands of years. And that is not the case. It is neither the case that they have been at each other's throats for thousands of years, nor is it the case that these groups are the descendants of those past communities. I'm going to tell you something that a casual observer might find very confusing. In the biblical and Quranic stories of the Israelite prophets and their fight against the Philistines and the inhabitants of that region, for the modern Palestinian Muslim or Christian, who do you think they see themselves as in that fight? Because the reality is they see themselves as the spiritual and genetic descendants of the Israelite prophets, not of the Philistines. Now, in reality, when we look at the actual ancestry of the Palestinians, we're going to see a picture that's even more complex than what the average Palestinian understands. But the point here is that you actually have in the modern context two communities both contesting the same ancestry and the same legacy of the same biblical communities and the same historic figures. Now, as you could perhaps imagine, it is quite challenging to verify precisely how many of each community existed in any given year throughout Palestine's multi-millennia history of inhabitation and, and life and civilization. But we do get a snapshot from the Greek historian Herodotus, who lived in the 5th century BC. Uh, he traveled to Palestine and chronicled his journeys and uh, created maps and described Palestine as the land south of Venetia and west of Egypt. Uh, regarding Herodotus, David Ashery, who's the late professor of ancient history at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, he wrote, the Palestinians at the time of Herodotus were a mixture of Phoenicians, Philistines, Arabs, Egyptians, and perhaps also other peoples, end quote. And so you could just simply stop here and say, well, the Palestinians are the indigenous inhabitants of the southern Levant. It doesn't quite tell us a lot, though, to just stop there. The first thing that we can notice about modern Palestinians and their ancestors is the fact that their ancestors were not a monolithic community, that there were multiple communities living in Palestine 
And it is the case that the Palestinians are the descendants of all of those communities layered on top of one another over the millennia. That includes being the descendants, the genetic descendants, of the Israelites. We can come to that conclusion for a variety of reasons, not least of which is the fact that a New York University study, um, an NYU genetic study back in May of 2000, revealed that most Palestinians possess an Israelite ancestry. They, of course, also possess ancestry from different communities. Now, buried in David Ashery's quote is the fact that Palestine was inhabited by Arabs. That would surprise not just casual observers and um, people who are unfamiliar with the region, but that surprised even people who are more familiar with the region, including myself, that there were Arabs and people defined as Arabs in Palestine in the 5th century. Now, what is meant by Arabs is a whole other can of worms. And we know that the modern Palestinians are also Arabs. But Arabization, and in fact being an Arab, is very different than what it means to be a lot of other race groups. From pre-Islamic times, there were at least two distinct groups of Arabs. There were Al-Arab Al-Ariba and Al-Arab Al-Musta'ariba, which means the Arab Arabs and the Arabized Arabs. The Arab Arabs are indigenous to the Arabian Peninsula and have been there since time immemorial. In fact, if you were to take the local traditions, they would argue that they are the original human beings, that they are the first peoples of Earth. But the Arabized Arabs are the descendants of Ibrahim's son, Abraham's son, Ismail, Ishmael. And his descendant, Adnan, became the patriarch of the Arabized Arabs. And so what does all this talk of Arab Arabs and Arabized Arabs, what does this have to do with the Palestinians being an Arab people? Well, as Newt Gingrich said in that recording that I posted earlier, that the Palestinians previous to being Palestinians in the late 20th century were actually just Arabs, what he means is that they were people from the Arabian Peninsula who came in, tried to grab some land when they saw that the Zionists were taking it, and then the Zionists pushed them out in 1948. The Palestinians, in fact, are the indigenous people of the Southern Levant, and their Arabness is a process of Arabization that has very little to do with genetics and has a lot more to do with their adoption of the language. Al-Arabi al-Lisan, which means the Arab is his tongue. To be considered an Arab, this is not a modern concept. This is a pre-Islamic concept. To be considered an Arab, one simply has to have a native command of the language. And so the inhabitants of the Southern Levant became Arabized with their adoption of the Arabic language, not necessarily through actually interbreeding with Arab peoples, and by Arab peoples in this case, I mean Al-Arab, Al-Ariba, the indigenous Arabs from the Arabian Peninsula. And to just add another level of confusion here for the casual observer who I may have lost in this little rant about Arabs and Arabized Arabs and Arab Arabs, that within Palestinian culture, and in fact, actually not just Palestinian culture in this case, this is true of most Arabic-speaking countries, if you refer to other Arabs as Arab, as Arabs, 
So I want to repeat that again. If a bunch of Arabic-speaking people are together and they uniquely refer to another group of Arab people as Arabs, what they actually mean is those are Bedouins. More specifically, what they mean is those are indigenous Arabs. They're different. So they mean something else. And so when Herodotus was referring to the Arab inhabitants of Palestine in the 5th century, he was almost certainly referring to Arab Arabs, the indigenous inhabitants of the Arabian Peninsula. And so to call a Palestinian an Arab is absolutely correct. And in fact, uh, the Arab identity of Palestinians becomes a very strong factor in the mid-20th century with the rise of pan-Arabism and Arab nationalism. But to calling a Palestinian an Arab probably doesn't mean what most people think it means. Genetically speaking, there is a massive difference between a Levantine Arab and between an Arab from, say, Morocco. They are both considered Arabs, but they are not the same thing. It's worth noting at this juncture that the Arabization of Palestine did not begin with the advent of Islam. In fact, the Ghassanid Arabs who ruled Palestine under Byzantine rule, uh, so the local rulers of Palestine, were Bedouin Arabs. And so in that time, during the Byzantine era of Palestine, you had Arabic-speaking rulers ruling over Greek-speaking urbanites and Aramaic-speaking and an Aramaic-speaking rural population. With the advent of Islam, however, you do have Arabic becoming the lingua franca of Palestine. I know that I promised a story. I set out to tell the story of Palestine. But any story this epic, be it historical or fantastical, needs a background. It needs some world-building. And so if you survive to the end of this episode, what you survived was the world building phase of the Palestine story. And it sets the background and the context for the events that happen in the next phase of Palestine's history. So far, we were able to establish that Palestinians are the indigenous inhabitants of the Southern Levant, that they are an Arabic speaking people. And we were able to establish that even the name Palestine has ancient roots in the land and it is tied to the reality of the indigenous population of that region. What we will establish later is how Palestinians arrived at the unique cultural identity that we now recognize as Palestinian identity.